From Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Madison Dooley. This is Film Club. A podcast series where our youth film critics and cultural connoisseurs spill the theoretical tea on a new movie. So these are spoiler-filled conversations, folks. If you haven't seen the movie they're talking about, be prepared to learn far more about them than the trailers will tell you. For this episode, we're talking about Don't Worry Darling, the new film from director Olivia Wilde. The movie stars Florence Pugh as Alice, a 1950s housewife living in an idyllic community with her husband, played by Harry Styles. But when strange occurrences involving her husband's secretive job start happening, Alice begins to question the nature of the reality she's living in. Our At Me film critics got together on Zoom to talk about Don't Worry Darling, the themes it explores, the film's heavy sterilized elements, and all of the behind-the-scenes drama that happened during the promotional tour. Did Harry Styles really spit on Chris Pine? We may never know the truth. Here is their discussion led by At Me producer Rowie McCohen. Hi, everybody. I just want to say, first of all, I'm like getting over a cold right now. So my voice sounds a little crazy, but my name's Rowie. I use she, they pronouns. Before we get into it, would you guys mind introducing yourselves? Hi, my name's Logan Tyler Smith, and I use he, him pronouns. And I'm sure we'll get into my many thoughts on this movie as we go on. Awesome. My name is Ormond Lois. Any pronouns are fine. And this movie has spoken to me on such an aggressive level. And I'm very excited to talk about that with you today. I'm Quinn. I use she, her pronouns. I'm also really excited to chat today. So I think we should get into it. Awesome. Overall, what did you guys think about Don't Worry Darling as a movie? Because I mean, personally, I would give it like a seven out of 10 on like a good scale and like an eight out of 10 on like the drama scale. (laughs) But that's just for me. I personally think my thoughts might need to gestate a little longer and I may actually need to watch it again to fully get it. I personally think it was really solid, but that I may have just not gotten it at the time. And uh, I definitely plan to watch it again before the end of the year, maybe when it comes out on streaming or rental, just to form a lot more coherent thoughts on it. I would definitely recommend reading movie reviews and stuff like that about it. Because I certainly, I walked out of the theater and I was like, I don't really get this. I think there were some things where I was just, just things that were very confusing, but reading about it and right after, and then also a while after I watched it, made it so that I could understand what was happening and then form opinions on the movie itself. I was going to say, I'm so glad that you guys are bringing up that you guys were confused at the end as well because every single person that I've spoken to has said that. The other day in one of my film classes, like my professor asked who was confused by that, who has seen that movie and was confused by it. And everybody who has seen it was like, of course I was confused by it. After you watch a good movie, I feel like a good movie, like you watch it and then you know what happened. You don't have to do further reading. I won't say that I love this movie. I won't say that I hated it. I found it kind of hysterical I was entertained I was entertained I'll say that right I mean I will say you don't have to do further reading but I do think that further reading of film criticism can occasionally increase your enjoyment of said movie it doesn't necessarily 
change how you feel about it. I just think it can give you a greater appreciation for cinema. You're right, you're right, you're right. I'm still working on being a film girl. <laughs> for sure, it's a journey that we're all on. I do agree though, I think there are some movies where you go in and then you walk out and you're like, I understood every part of that movie, but maybe I didn't like it or I understood every part of that movie and I loved it a lot. This one, you can't really, there are some things where it's very clear what is going on, but looking back on it, especially going over the things that were happening that I was confused on in the moment, I'm still confused even after it was explained, which bothered me. Like when there's a plot twist, right? And everything's leading up to the plot twist. And then the plot twist happens because spoiler alert, there's a plot twist. The thing happens, right? Everyone finds out about what is actually going on. It still didn't explain certain things about the movie. And I was like, hmm, I don't think that's how that's supposed to work. Right. I mean, I do think that it was definitely like a very like in your face bonkers twist that I didn't see coming. But at least to me personally, I thought that bonkers twist allowed the more experimental moments of filmmaking, which I thought extended the theme. But I personally thought the twist made the more experimental moments of filmmaking, whether they were literal or not, actually make more sense to me. Like the idea like and it says at the beginning of every film club, like these are spoiler filled conversations. So you don't, I've listened to multiple episodes, but the idea of like suburban life as kind of crushing or maybe even suffocating, whether they were literal or not, I thought that that made those scenes make more sense to me personally. For sure. And we are going to talk about that a little bit later on because it's a huge part of the movie, obviously. But just generally, was there anything looking back on it that stood out to you? Like you watch the movie, you have a few days to think about it. And then looking back on it, is there like a particular thing that you're maybe not the plot twist? I mean, obviously the plot twist was insane, but was there anything where you look back on it and you're like, yeah, that really is the biggest part of what I remember about that movie? I think throughout the conflict reaching to the climax of the film I felt I felt something very different at first than what I from what I felt for the rest of the film at first I was surprised I was like what the heck is going on but I was screaming that in my head I was like what the heck and then as soon as the the reality began to set in because I think that was gradual too I started getting really really irrationally angry my brain was throwing this huge temper tantrum because I had drawn my own conclusions that I was witnessing some sort of presentation of behavior from the other guests accompanying the main characters. I got feelings of cynicism and nihilism, which is interesting because I thought maybe there was something I was supposed to learn, some sort of life lesson from this movie. Although I guess that is a life lesson to say that perhaps cynicism and nihilism are not things you should be feeling if you want to be a decent human being, as I understand it. I felt the same way at the end of the movie. I also thought there was going to be a learning lesson. I went with one of my friends. I kept looking over and was like, they're not going to teach us anything. Like, like I thought there were all like these meanings. What are, I need to be taught a lesson here. Right. I mean, at the same time, I don't think the theme was in the sense of like a satisfying, like straightforward moral lesson. 
And in the reviews I've read, some people have argued that the thematic material like had been done before. But at the same time, I personally thought, you know, it worked regardless of whether or not it was like a straightforward, this is the moral of the story. Because I don't think it was supposed to be satisfying. Like, I think it was supposed to make you think a little more and whether or not that reach exceeded its grasp. I mean, that's up to you, the viewer, but you know, it worked for me. That kind of transitions perfectly into my next question, which is what worked for you about this film and what didn't? And if I may, I would like to go first, just kind of talk about it a little bit. I really like the stylization of Victory and the Victory Project. I love that aesthetic. And they really went full on the sort of 50s, mid-century modern. Everything is like perfect and beautiful and clean. And obviously there are some anachronisms, like that woman um, walking around topless at the pool. Florence Pugh's character Alice walking out of her house in just a men's dress shirt and like nothing else that is obviously not what the women did in the 50s but I think also that kind of adds to the kind of like this is not how it's supposed to be kind of vibe that you get so I think the stylization of the entire movie the way that it was color graded even the way that it was edited I thought that was really really cool and that really really worked for me you guys have kind of touched on this already, but what really didn't work for me was that there was this feeling of having some sort of moral, yeah, I guess just like moral or lesson that we were supposed to be learning throughout something that was supposed to be revealed to us, like, you shouldn't do this, or you should do this, or when this happens, do this, something like that. And I walked out of the movie kind of feeling confused because there wasn't anything like that, even though it had kind of been implied. Right. And I personally like the thematic material. I mentioned that obviously the ending itself isn't for everyone. It certainly wasn't for me. It definitely didn't end satisfyingly, even if I really liked the themes that it was portraying. But at the same time, the performances were more or less on the same wavelength. And the story logic itself, I wasn't a fan of. But for the most part, I thought the performances and the thematic material transcended the uh, admittedly flimsy narrative. The thing that I bothered me the most about this movie is Harry Styles. I've never watched a movie and been like, oh, the acting was really bad. But I was sitting there and I was like, oh my gosh, why is he being such a freak? Sorry, I don't know how else to put it. And then I oh yeah, went home, I'm Googling. I'm like, why did Harry Styles sound so weird? And don't worry, darling. I'm reading a BuzzFeed article and it's like, well... Harry Styles acted bad in that movie on purpose because it all plays into the plot at the end. I will admit, Harry, I'm going to go back on my earlier statements because I kind of agree. I thought the other performances were great, but yeah, Harry Styles was the weakest link for me. For sure. Lawrence Pugh, I love Lawrence Pugh. She did great. She slayed. She did perfect. But Harry Styles, like, okay, I get that he's very... He's very handsome. He's very charming. He's Olivia Wilde's boyfriend, the director, if you're not familiar with drama. I didn't know that, actually. Good to know. Yeah, well. Yeah, I was watching it and I was like, this is almost ruining it for me. <laughs> oh, well, how weird Harry Styles is acting. And then to read, oh, well, it was on purpose. Okay. Yeah, that was kind of 
something that bothered me, especially after like looking back on it, I was like, that was really good, except for Harry Styles. That was kind of what I said, because me and my mom, we watched it together and we were talking about it. Both of us were like, it was really good, except for Harry Styles. That was just the one thing where we were like, Harry Styles, quite frankly, is not an actor. He was never meant to be an actor. He acted once in Dunkirk and then he was like, I'm a movie star now. Dude, you can't do that. Just because you have a cool movie star girlfriend who wants to cast you in her projects doesn't mean that you should. <laughs> I'm just saying. Did anyone else hear what makes you beautiful when he was whispering to her in conversation? Ew, ew, ew. I just kept cringing. I just kept going, ew, ew, ew. I ew. I bet there's like hundreds of edits now. There's hundreds of edits of that scene where they're talking, they're close together. And he just starts saying, really whisper. He just says, maybe you light up my world. I mean, I will say, as bad as that performance was, uh, I do kind of think that makes the reveal of his real character the reveal of him literally trapping Florence Pugh's character in the reality, that kind of makes the performance less bad and almost kind of unsettling. Yeah, that was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of shocked at how well they turned him into an incel. Does that make sense? Oh my God, I was about to say that was the craziest part. When they flipped to that part, my job went on the floor yeah, literally went, like went, gone. Is Harry Styles an incel right now this is this is my favorite thing I've ever seen in my entire life I've been waiting for this one baby I've been waiting for this one I was cackling and an afterthought an afterthought I had again spoiler like an afterthought I had I was like why was his fake identity British I went did they make his fake identity British so he could get away with bad acting that was my Maybe, and the idea that that's part of why I like the Bunker's twist, because making his character from a main character to someone, like, horrific, yeah, kind of makes the thematic material land a little harder for me, just because, yeah, it's a movie about incels. Jeez. Yeah. Like you guys are saying, I thought the movie was beautiful. Florence Pugh was great. Everybody else was great. I kind of wish Nick Kroll wasn't in it, but... I loved it, other than Harry Styles being kind of weird. I loved the twist ending. Loved seeing Harry Styles as an incel. My mom and I could not stop talking about that ending. Like, for days afterwards, we would just, like, keep bringing up stuff like, oh, my God, what about this thing? Oh, my God, what about Bunny? What about Bunny's kids? What about literally? And, like, what is her name? Margaret. Does she actually die? Does Margaret actually die? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I think it's at least implied, yeah. Right, it, it did leave some stones unturned, and that's kind of what I mentioned with, like, the flimsy story logic earlier. Like, they, even though I thought the thematic material was well executed, they did leave some story threads kind of out there, even if it was implied. How do you feel about the heavily stylized elements of the movie? For example, costumes, architecture, and the general social family structures along with some, like I said, some anachronisms. Oh, it was certainly beautiful, no doubt. Like, cinematography and direction was competent, and I'll let someone else have the floor now. WandaVision. So true, so true. Very WandaVision. That's actually a good comparison. I think even though they're, in terms of genre, very different, there are some sci-fi elements, like the reveal of the Victory Project being what keeps Florence Pugh 
in that whole provision and basically uh, makes Harry Styles' character even more unsettling. Even though I personally think they're different genres and obviously very tonally different, they both have, they, they fit their genre really well, especially in terms of your production design. Black Mirror too, like two to three different episodes, different aspects of Black Mirror. For sure. I couldn't figure out whether to classify it as a horror or a thriller or something else entirely. I think thriller, but if it is horror, it's like more social horror. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, I think psychological horror. Yeah, that's actually a good way of categorizing it, man. So actually, yeah, I guess just kind of adding on to that. How did you guys feel about the concept of being trapped in suburbia slash being trapped in this sort of quote-unquote perfect world? I gotta say, I wasn't really into it until all the ladies were sitting in the mall and they could pick out whatever they liked. They could pick out whatever they liked and like the, the, the little model women would just spin around and do their thing. And I went, you know what? Maybe it's not that bad. But um, real talk, one of the crazy twist ending parts was how Bunny was like, I chose to be here. Like, I chose this. I chose this life. Because I think some people do like having monotony, do have that. I I think there's a reason why people would want to go there, right? But I thought that was really interesting. The idea of how some people like really idealize that suburban lifestyle. But also like in in a typical suburbia neighborhood, there is a lot of shade being thrown in everybody's way. The people starting to lose trust or hope or anything in the, to the main character, the way they go so fast from being welcome to ridicule and what feels like a matter of seconds really shows a lot about, about how many times that's happened in real life. How many times if you are different in... And this is a town where everybody's the same to me. And, and the way they shift to ridicule, it's almost like they weren't doing that just because they were choosing to do so, to abide by the rules. Sometimes it feels like they really hated the protagonist for being different. And that, that hurt. That hurt me. Yeah, and I, I wanted to save this for the end. But uh, much like this movie, I think suburban life is a bit of a mixed bag. Like some people choose it, some people don't. Obviously, if you don't choose it, much like this movie, it can feel suffocating. For sure. I think it's, it is very, it made me feel a little bit suffocated, which I think is obviously what it was trying to do. But I don't necessarily think it was in a good way. I think I felt suffocated watching it because I felt like they stayed with things for too long. They introduced this idea of the perfection having like a little crack in it, you know, like 15 minutes into the movie, 10 minutes even. And then it just stayed at that point of not really doing anything for like the next hour. Just not, no real advance in the plot. Just like adding some more things here and there about like, ooh, what is really going on? What is happening? Whatever. And that was what made me feel suffocated, not the idea of what was actually happening in the movie itself, I think, which is not what they were trying to do. And speaking of feeling suffocated, one thing that the movie tries to gloss over, but that really hit me immediately and stuck with me is not only is the main character being gaslit into accepting that reality, but near the end, spoiler alert, near the end, it is implied that all these people in the Victory Project consent 
to being gaslit, but is that even possible? I honestly don't think so. And I think that's how, yeah, how could you consent to being manipulated? That's horrifying. Yeah, I think that is a moment where the thematic material falls apart for me, even though I thought for the most part it was competent. And you see that in real life too. And we're trying to stop it from happening, but it just keeps coming up. Yeah, I thought that was kind of weird too. I thought maybe like, oh, maybe this is a statement about cults. I actually, just moments ago, when I Googled some Harry Styles incel thing, and an article came up about how they might have based Chris Pines' character on Jordan Peterson, which really made me gag just a moment ago. But um, I think it does kind of tie into themes. I mean, we've been talking about this for a long time, right? A lot of people, young men especially, go down rabbit holes on the internet. I was like, maybe that's the lesson that they're out there. Um, Yeah, I knew that. Now I feel worse. Um, Thank you. No, I can't unhear Chris Pine's character saying, I like it when you challenge me, especially when it's in a debate about postmodernism. My God, I can totally hear that. Yeah, Chris Pine's character really, I, I think, fed into the what I mentioned earlier about nihilism and cynicism, especially when when Chris Pine's character starts talking about challenging the main character, it really gave me this thought, is that the lesson from this? Don't trust anyone, don't value anybody's lives. Near the end of it, she was being told by the people who were her former friends, she was being essentially told her life had no value and that she should have just died with her identity i i know that can't be the moral or lesson because that was a horrible lesson to learn how bad it is but what else would it be i think it might be a le- maybe it's a lesson on the metaverse is one of the thoughts i had i went are they in the metaverse oh. <laughs> it was one of the first thoughts i had but again not that i know any incels in real life but it's just it's really scary to think about how I mean, it's kind of scary to think about this in any situation, like to think about another human being as like, oh, like a commodity. But yeah, it was just really scary. Spoiler alert, when Chris Pine's character is stabbed, I almost cheered in the audience. But now, in addition to cheering for that scene, I'm thinking of his last dying words being, up yours, woke moralists. We'll see who cancels who. What do you think they could have done better? about the plot twist and about explaining what was actually going on because if I'm being honest I really don't know there are certain things that obviously didn't work for me thematically and there were things that like just didn't make sense but I actually if I'm being honest I don't know how I would be able to fix it I think it's kind of unfixable for me that's fair Uh, I thought the twist worked as well as it could, regardless of, you know, if it works for everyone. But that's, you know, obviously everything's going to have different levels of appeal. I have a love-hate relationship with all the scenes where the main character is betrayed. But I also, no matter how angry and upset I am at those scenes, they really kept the film going. I would almost argue that as horrifying as they were, they feel kind of necessary because if they weren't there and it was all about the main character trying to escape for two hours 
or less, it would have felt less like you were going along with the movie and more like you were being dragged along for the movie. For sure. And I get that. So about the drama, we're going to get into the drama now. Very exciting stuff. There was drama surrounding the Don't Worry Darling press, <laughs> uh, the press and the film release and Venice and everything. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Obviously, you can go down an entire rabbit hole about all of this drama. And I did. So I'm going to be as succinct as I can possibly be about explaining this. I don't have it scripted, so I might go on a tangent for the next five minutes, but we'll see. So generally some background information, Olivia Wilde obviously directed this movie. She and Harry Styles were dating as of the release of this movie. They apparently met on set. I don't know if that's true. I think they might have been dating before it. They're lying. <laughs> They're lying. I saw them together. That's a lie. I'm joking. I don't know. They are dating. We're dating. Co-workers dating. Not ever really a good situation. Moving on. Reportedly, Shia LaBeouf was supposed to play Harry Styles' character. And then he left. Because he was like, I don't really want to be here anymore. And Florence was also reportedly very uncomfortable with him around. Olivia Wilde said that she fired Shia La- LaBeouf. She talked to a reporter about it. She was like, okay, I fired him. And then Shia LaBeouf was like, no, you didn't. Literally released a video of her saying, Shia, please come back, please. We love you so much. That whole thing. So that happened. And then the Venice Film Festival happened. There was a like a whole panel where they were all asked like these ridiculous questions about the movie and Harry Styles apparently spit on Chris Pine, which didn't happen, by the way. He did not spit on Chris Pine. That's ridiculous. As far as we know. As far as we know, why would he do that? That's ridiculous. It I would just, be funny. Come on. It would be funny, but like he's a public figure. Can you yeah, I would like we know happened. I don't think I don't think that happened, but there was that. Everyone was like, oh my God, Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine. And Harry Styles made fun of it. He was like, Oh yeah, I went to Venice and spit on Chris Pine at one of his concerts. And everyone was like, Yeah. And then Florence was not at any or most of the press for the movie she went to the film festival on the red carpet and watched its premiere and she looked amazing and everyone is hyping her up but she like never acknowledged Olivia Wilde once and Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles didn't acknowledge each other on the red carpet either everyone was like what's going on what's going on and there's been nothing else since then that's a little bit of a like an aside about the drama about Don't Worry Darling. But that being said, do you think that there's real for real criticism of this movie amongst the hyper publicized media coverage? Oh, totally. Somebody who's val- whose opinion I value was telling me that they think that all of this was done like in promotion for the movie which I think could be totally true. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of tricky. It's kind of tricky because this is something they do with movies sometimes, right? If it's if they're worried it's not going to do super well, like they'll stir up a bunch of drama. I think something might have happened. I don't know. 
I think all of this other drama, like the whole like spitting on Chris Pine, who cares? Like that's dumb. But with Florence Pugh, like I don't think she promoted it at all. Like she was promoting other things that she was in. Right. I mean, if we know anything about Hollywood is they like to promote stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that's good or bad, but I am saying that every movie is going to have some degree of production or distribution reality because I can attest filmmaking, doing it on your own, let alone with a crew. It's hard work. Like, it's really, really hard work. So it would make sense you'd want to promote it as much as possible. And whether it's media outlets or people who represent the production, it's going to happen. But I don't think that really minimizes any good faith criticisms that could be made in favor of or against this movie. For sure. And I'm glad that you guys feel that way, because I think so, too. I think, obviously, this movie was very publicized in a way that might have taken away from the movie itself which (laughs) would have sucked if it was genuinely like an amazing movie that being said it was not an amazing movie it was a good movie and I would watch it again it was entertaining but like I don't think it's necessarily going to be up for any Oscars um and I don't think if it does get nominated I don't think it'll win because it just wasn't you know it was mediocre but I think if it had been an amazing movie, I think the media coverage would have taken away from the movie itself. I will say, like, I think that the Oscars have surprised us, though. Like, in human history, mistakes were made. So maybe it'll happen with it. Very, very true. I I could see a nomination. I don't know about a win. I could maybe see a nomination or two. Yeah, maybe for, I don't even know, set design? Best actor, maybe not best actor, but well, best actor would obviously have to be not Harry Styles. Yeah, maybe maybe Florence Pugh, but even then, I don't necessarily know that that was Oscar worthy. I'm all for Florence Pugh getting the nom. I think she did amazing. I love Florence Pugh for sure. If it was any other movie, I would say yes, nominate her for all of the awards. I'm just not sure about this movie in particular, but huge Florence Pugh fan over here. Have you ever had a similar experience where there's been so much lead up to a movie, so much gossip about a movie, it might have made you a little bit biased going into the movie, like watching it itself? Oh, absolutely. Like, I think it happens with a lot of uh, movies that you buy into the hype around. I think there's even a term for it, and it's not a very tasteful term, but it's called phantom menacing. Like the idea where you buy into a hype only to deflate like months after seeing the movie. In some cases, like I'm not I'm not going to get into like the whole Star Wars debate. This is not a panel about Star Wars, but there is the argument to be made that you can buy into like the biggest thrill ride of the year and then realize it's nowhere close. It happened like with a lot of third installments of movies and a variety of over the course of decades. And that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, and I'd also like to reference a previous roundtable we did for the movie Nope. That one, I saw the trailers, but I thought it would just be an average movie, although I had hopes given that it is from Jordan Peele. But it was it was something else. It was way more than an average movie. It went way deeper than I expected, than anyone around me expected. And in that regard, it was almost kind of beautiful. Yeah, I'm glad we're referencing old roundtables. Continuity, man. Anyway, that was kind of an example of a good thing where you have, there was like a lot of press or you saw the trailers and you were like, "Ah," 
and then you walked in and you were like oh my god that was amazing have you ever walked into a movie thinking like I don't really know if I'm gonna like this and the opposite happens where you're like oh my god this is amazing I think it helps to go into a movie with low expectations and then have them surpassed I think that often makes the movie the experience and especially the theater experience so much more rewarding I actually think I kind of went into this movie don't worry darling with super low expectations because at that point the Rotten Tomatoes review for Don't Worry Darling is in the 30% or something like that. Hold on. It had a really high audience score, but the audience score when I saw it hadn't come out yet or I hadn't seen it yet or something like that. So I was like, this is going to be the worst movie I've ever seen. I'm still going to go watch it though, because obviously Florence Pugh, I'm going to watch anything that she's in. And there was so much media coverage. I just had to kind of like see it. And I knew that we were doing this round table. So kind of obligated, but I went into it genuinely thinking like, I don't really know if this is going to be a good movie. And I walked out of it being like, that was really good, which I'm really happy that that happened because I know that the, some people went into the movie thinking like, this is going to be so good. It's Harry Styles. It's Florence Pugh. It looks really cool. I'm going to watch it just for like the actors. I went into it with the story at the forefront of my mind because it is actually a really interesting story. So I think that helped too. I'd have to say one key factor we forget that can make movies so effective is how emotionally powerful they can be. So pretty much every recent Pixar or Disney movie, maybe not even just recent ones, most every Pixar or Disney movie, I don't come into it thinking this is going to suck because it's Disney. It's not going to suck if it's Disney. But I come into it thinking there's only so much you can do with the concept that's in the synopsis for this movie, like Inside Out. I, I didn't hate it at first. I saw the trailer, thought it was interesting, but I thought you can only do so much with five different people controlling each human being. But man, they made it work. They made it work. And that, there's many other examples, but inside out primarily. At the same time, I do think that even though movies can obviously be emotionally powerful and very transcendent, I think it can also affect you like in different ways. Like it doesn't have to be like an Oscar winning movie or a emotionally resonant Pixar movie or even like an exciting action movie it has to do something memorable or unique which clearly even though I wasn't a fan of everything this movie did this movie did I mean we're talking about it and there's a reason for it clearly for sure this movie definitely makes you think about particularly our culture surrounding the way that social structures have changed the way that the family unit has changed the way that people have expected, particularly women to behave, working women during the time that this is supposedly, that the Victory Project is supposed to be set in. Women did not work. That's why the men went and worked. And the women just stayed home and cleaned and cooked and provided for their children if they have any or their husbands. And I think it's a really interesting thing to think about. Obviously, I do think that maybe these sorts of themes have been explored before in a more interesting and thought-provoking way. That's just my opinion, but I do think it's something definitely to think about, especially the Harry Styles in Cell Pipeline. Very thought-provoking for me, especially. I want to address one scene that I wish was delved upon more. And I think that would have made the thematic material landed like in the quote unquote real world when the guy who will inevitably trap Florence Pugh in the Victory Project, we see him like listening to some weird podcast 
which clearly is indulging his inceldom. Yes. I think that was the most scary part of the whole thing was that yeah. this could happen. Something like that could happen. It's not that far off. And especially with the way that the world works right now, the way that QAnon, that could happen. And that is terrifying. That is so scary to me. And I think that's what makes it more of a horror for me personally, is that is literally horrific for me to think about. Oh, yeah. Do you think it would be interesting to have a sequel or a prequel to this movie? I personally want some explanation. I need some explanation. I just want information. Obviously, you know, they left it on sort of a cliffhanger on intentionally, but there were things about it that I still want clarification on. So I think either a prequel or potentially a sequel, maybe not in movie format, something a little bit shorter, I think would be good. Maybe we'll get a spinoff streaming show. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even get me started, dude. Like, are you kidding me? I actually hope that they don't do that. But what are your guys' thoughts on that? I would be interested in seeing some continuation of this, but if they're going to do it, they better know what they're doing. Because not the whole of Don't Worry, Darling, but there were a couple short scenes where I felt they didn't really get it that well. I don't think it's going to happen. Like, I don't think a prequel or a sequel is going to happen unless this movie makes more than its profit, which, you know, it's a gray area. But if, hey, if the film's really successful, I have no doubt Hollywood will do it and that the following film will be, even if it explains stuff, it will be fine. That was my last real question of substance. But are there any ending thoughts, any ending comments, things that you guys would like to say that you didn't get the chance to? This is your time for that. I um, would like to suggest a moral in place of the one that maybe didn't exist in the movie itself. And I wanted to actually challenge, as in the movie, the moral that I thought I was seeing that felt too negative and self-destructive. I would decide not to live my life constantly believing that everything is a lie. It's only going to make me depressed, scared, and filled with animosity at everybody I ever meet. <laughs> and likewise, I also I don't want to believe that everybody's fake. I don't want to believe that we live in a simulation because no matter how people will say that it's true, they need to take into account that we might not agree with it, but just the thought in our heads can terrify us so much that we can deviate from our normal behavior and get do all these antisocial and negative things. We might not leave our houses. We might not leave our rooms. We might never contact anybody that we used to talk to all the time in person or on social media. If I had to suggest a moral, I would say don't overthink things. And I'll leave, I'll leave with that. If I can quote Harry Styles himself, this movie experience was like a movie. I might even watch it again just for more context, but, um, you know, if there's any takeaways from this, it's that Harry Styles should not pursue an acting career. Thank you. Wholeheartedly agree with you on that one. My ending comment, my very final comment is thank you for letting me talk so long. It was an experience, both this talk and the movie. No problem, Logan. I really enjoy your opinion.
Yeah, I think you talked just the right amount. Yeah, I guess my ending thoughts are to agree with all of you. I think that it was a very entertaining movie. Maybe not in the ways that it meant to be, but I was entertained. Thank you guys so much for coming um, and being here and talking to me. And thank you, the listeners, for listening. That's all. That's all we have. You've been listening to Film Club, a production of Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Kendrick Whiteman. The roundtable was edited by Ormond Alois. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the Denina people whose lands we work on. Many thanks to our supporters of the podcast, including Alaska State Council on the Arts. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent the views of our sponsors. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voice in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like Atme. Just go to patreon.com slash alaskateenmedia. You can also help out by subscribing to, rating, or writing a review of our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us keep our stories out there. And if you are a youth ages 13 to 24 who loves movies and is interested in being part of our film club, go to alaskateenmedia.org slash join. Or you can email us at news at alaskateenmedia.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Madison Dooley. Thanks for listening. Swag.